I'm joined by Leonard Andy, whose creations are featured in Echo of the Past, an exhibition that reflects the history of Mission Beach from all perspectives. Leonard Andy, some of your creations are among the objects displayed in the exhibition, and you also played a big role in making this happen, the exhibition happen. Before we explore them and dive into the exhibition itself, can you tell us about yourself? I'm a Juru traditional owner of the Mission Beach area. And for the last maybe 25 years, I've been working as an artist here. And before that, I was working as a tour guide, a cultural tutor in the schools. I thought if I become an artist, I wouldn't have to talk so much. Uh, artists don't always have to talk a lot as they often say a lot through their creations and uh, I've seen some of your artwork you do tell a lot of stories through your creations now let's delve into the exhibition launched on uh, the 10th of March at Mission Beach what caught my eye is that uh, the exhibition illustrates some of the events that happened in the area, Mission Beach and surrounding areas. And one of the most uh, striking events uh, depicted is uh, the 1918 cyclone that um, devastated Innisfail, Mission Beach and all the surrounding areas. It is considered to be the most devastating cyclone to ever hit a populated area in Queensland. And I gather this cyclone had a devastating consequences, especially for Jiro people. Well, the exhibition on the 10th of March, that's when the cyclone hit. For our people, it destroyed the whole river settlement at South Mission Beach. For some of our people, it's called gumbutter in language. Today, it's called a natural disaster. But for us, it's probably natural because it helps to shape the forest. And it did make changes for our people here because they didn't rebuild in 1918. Boats came and took our people away to Palm Island. And that's where they still are, some of them. A lot have left. And the exhibition, it's probably the first time it's like a combined exhibition telling both sides of the story, Europeans as well as the Jury, because it changed the area and the Juru people forever. Because of relocation, today there's only about maybe 15 that live on country in Mission Beach. I hope for the numbers to get more. But one of the objects of the exhibition was to show a lot of different people that live here now. Our side of the story and also some of the history, the combined history. Because a lot of people think that there was a mission here because it's called Mission Beach. But the real name is the whole river settlement and for us it was a detention centre. Other mission was Yeah, you just said something important there. The objective of the exhibition is to tell both sides of the story because uh, history books and uh, the way stories are told and history is told to us is usually from uh, one side in this country. Hardly do we ever get to get the whole picture. For instance, little did we know about Mission Beach. One would think that um, it was one of those uh, missions, uh, just one of um, many other missions. Yet you remind us uh, that it was known as the Hull River Settlement and it was a detention center for Aboriginal people. 
and uh, your people were forcibly removed. There's a lot of history to unpack there. Yeah, I don't know if you could do it all in one exhibition. <laughs> yeah. But maybe in the next exhibition we have, the story will start to change because we started to have more Jewry people involvement during the 70s in the area. But at that time, I think there was only one or two living in Mission Beach. So all of your people have been removed. Were you born uh, in the area and uh, always lived on Mission Beach? Yeah. Uh, yeah, our tribes from here, like Mission Beach, is right in the middle of our tribal lands. So is South Mission Beach and North Mission, Bingle Bay. Yeah. And uh, have uh, the Jewish people been able to preserve their culture and uh, their cultural objects, or some of them have been lost forever with the removal of the people? Uh, some of it has been lost, but we had some of the local people donate things that their parents were given, some baskets and shields that are over 100 years old. Our first settlers arrived about 134 years ago. So there's still people with connections on both sides to the area. Yeah. Do you have an idea, an estimate of uh, the people who have been removed? How many people were removed altogether? Yeah, there's records, and they say that between four to 600 was here at the Hull River Settlement. But at that time, Juru was already a minority because we had native police here. Yeah. And there were massacres, and yeah, I don't think there was too many left. Yeah. There's a recent study by the University of Newcastle documenting colonial massacre sites. Are the massacres of the Jiru people recorded in that study as well? I don't think so. Well, we've got a couple of massacre sites. And like, when I was younger, I gave it some of our neighbours, some of the other tribes, and you get taken to massacre sites around the area, in Mission Beach, also south and north, but a lot of those places haven't been recorded. Yeah. And are the massacres uh, illustrated in the exhibition as well? Uh, Part of the exhibition has a group of sketches and drawings by an artist named Michael Daly that lives in South Mission, and it mainly deals with the Hull River Settlement because you had native police and you had people in chains who couldn't leave. Or if you left, you had to make sure that you weren't ever caught again. And the native police were Aboriginal themselves. Yeah, but usually they bring them from somewhere else, further south, because they have no connection to the people here then. They'll just do what they're told. Yeah, so they'd be ruthless and totally disregard the human rights of the people they were dealing with. Now, you entered some objects in the exhibition. Tell us about your participation uh, in uh, the exhibition through your objects. I put in a couple of swords and a couple of... They're called bagu. They're a rainforest fire maker for making fire. I put a couple of those in, as well as some, here we call them one but in Australia, they're known as boomerangs. 
from the pictures that I saw, the items displayed are different from Aboriginal objects we see on the East Coast and uh, farther south of the country. Well, here we are all rainforests and coastal rainforests, so we have the ocean beside us. And some of the baskets are called bicornial baskets. It's made from a cane and it's maybe split really thin and there's up to 200 pieces in the basket. In our language, it's called jawan, but the baskets used to carry things, fruit and that. It's also used in the leaching process when you're using toxic nut to make flour. They're shaved and put into the basket in a stream where the water's running to take the toxins out before they're dried and put on a grinding stone to make flour. Yeah, that's something unusual, that kind of traditional object. Uh, used to process food uh, is not well documented in historical accounts of Aboriginal Australia, uh, Aboriginal people uh, through the accounts, uh, you know, handed down uh, from the time of colonisation, especially objects in your part of Australia. Yeah, well, we have a totally different culture here in the rainforest. It's not dry country culture, it's like wet country. Yeah. Everything is green or many shades of green. What Australia calls a boomerang, we have one, well, we have a couple of different ones, but we have also have a cross boomerang shaped like a cross, and it's used for hunting. Smaller ones are made for children to play with, and it's also the smaller ones were made to return to play with. And did they teach the children how to make those objects, or they were made by adults? Adults make them. And the, the smallest stone axe I've seen is probably maybe 10 centimetres long, and it was probably made for a little baby in a small stone. I gather the exhibition will be travelling, or the exhibition will be travelling, including the Giro objects as well? Uh, no, just the photos. Some of the objects we've only got on loan for maybe a month. I may send one or two things when we're in the local area, yeah. Like Twongling and and maybe Palm Island. We're still organising the exhibition to go to Palm Island. Yeah. There's a lot of Juru people still over there. Yeah. And some have never been back to Mission Beach. Like some, for some of the older ones, they only know stories from their grandparents and the younger one, it's their great-grandparents that were removed. Yeah. And they wouldn't even probably remember the language. Nah. One of my cousins has been doing work with the language and compiled a dictionary. But for a lot of the guys on Palm Island, it's a bit mixed up because they put close to 50 tribes there from yeah. different areas on one island. Yeah. Today, they call themselves Bulgerman, but it's a name made up of all the different groups that have come to Palm or got sent to Palm Island. And they came from a lot of different areas. All my grandparents were... Some were sent there, others were born born there. And that's from on my mother's and my father's side. Yeah. So all the Jiro people who have been removed would remember by their countries just that uh, they come from um, the area, Jiro country, through oral history, stories passed on from generation to generation without any physical connection to the place anymore. 
Yeah. Well, we've had some come back since we've had we've had native title here since 2011, and we've met a lot of the other Juru. But today we're all descendants of mine applicable ancestors. Yeah. And that's all we could find. Yeah, so this uh, work of reconstruction of the history of the place and uh, bridging so many gaps. I guess this exhibition is the beginning of something much bigger in that sense, so reconnecting to country and reconnecting to culture. Yeah, it'd be good if it went to Palm Island because a lot of people think Aboriginal culture is dots and didgeridoos. That's like a dry country culture. Yeah. In the in the rainforests, we have swords and shields made of wood, and a lot of our art is geometric designs, diamonds and triangles, and it's totally different than what a lot of the world thinks of as Aboriginal culture. Our men fought with swords, like over a metre long or a metre and a half long wooden swords and had shields. I don't think you see swords anywhere else in Australia, except in the rainforest. Hence it is important to be to put the word out there and get as many people as possible to visit the exhibition and see a part of Australian art and culture that is a little known. And uh, Leonard Andy, I know I've taken too much of your time. Just a parting word before I let you go. At the moment, there's about 15 jury live here. And hopefully in the future there will be more coming back on country. That's all. Yeah, that's a very, very, very powerful wish and very powerful words there. Leonard Andy, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on NITV Radio. You're welcome.